Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life and Closet family, welcome to Pride Month. We are deep in the heart of Pride Month right now, and whether you are LGBTQ or someone who is an ally, we just want to say happy Pride, everyone. And once again, if you are tuning in, just remember that if you're feeling like you can't live your life out of the closet, whether that's because of your sexuality or something else, I want to invite you to hop over to the website, rickclemens.com and take the Life Uncloseted Assessment and just check it out and see what you find out there. It's a cool little assessment tool that helps you figure stuff out. Then it comes along with three videos that can help guide you to truly learning to live an unapologetic life. So let's dive in here. We are in Pride Month and we're going to talk about sex today because I feel like you can't be in the closet, out of the closet. You can't even be heteronormative without having some piece of sex be a part of your life. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be asexual, but to me, that's part of sex too. So when I get to these interesting little thoughts that I have, I try to find people that I think would be a really good fit for these kind of conversations And I happened to run into today's guests online. No, not in a chat room or anything. Uh, We were in the similar group online in a Facebook group. And I thought, this is interesting. We kind of do similar stuff. But he's actually a licensed sex therapist. His name is Rob Cornulia. And um, I just love it that he's connected to Joe Court, who has been on the podcast before. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Rob, who also came out of the closet a little bit later in life who is a parent as well. I'm just talking about, hey, what does the future of sex look like? So Rob, welcome to the podcast, man. Really happy to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me, Rick. Uh, A pleasure to uh, chat with you today. Yeah, yeah. So let's get some of this stuff out of the way. We both came out later in life, right? Yes. Yep. I I was 37 and it was back in 2013. Okay. And you got kids. I do. Um, I have a son who is now 13, almost 14. And then I have twin girls who uh, will be 11 in October. Wow. That's amazing. So here you are come out of the closet. You had some religious um, upbringing that, you know, kind of had to release all of that stuff, which is also part of why we talk about this stuff during pride because a lot of people struggle with that. Sure. Um, and then now here you are, Mr. Sex Therapist. So I'm going to just let all that settle in on people's minds a little bit, you know? There is somewhat of a shock value that is fun sometimes for me uh-huh. because, you know, I, I did go to Christian schools my whole life. Um, I was, in fact, a youth pastor for 15 years and then a church planter. Uh, went back to school to um, get my counseling degree, became a licensed counselor, and now I'm pursuing uh, my ASEX certification for sex therapy. Awesome. And so it's, it's kind of fun to say that, you know, I'm a, a former pastor, gay man and sex therapist now. So, um, you know, I've tried to be fully out of the closet in all there areas. You go. Of my life. There you go. And I love this because, you know, part of it is about really finding yourself. And I know for me, Rob, when I came out, so you, you came out at 37, I came out at 36. 
And um, I never, if somebody would have told me then that I would be a coach and that I would have a podcast and I would have written a book and now I'm writing my second book. And I would have said, you have, no, <laughs> you've got it all wrong. That is not my path in life. And then suddenly our path in life seems to find us. And I'm just curious, do you feel like that's what's happened for you as your path in life just kind of found you? Oh man, I I resonate with that. I I think at some level, if I, I I could have told myself, you know, in my 30s, you know, I thought I had had to resign myself to the fact that I was stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, even after coming out, um, I lost my income. I lost a lot of relationships. I was, you know, a pastor at the time, so it was a big a big piece of news for people to find out when I finally. A lot of people to know, hey, I'm a gay man, and my wife and I we divorced. Um, yeah, I I thought, okay, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, and right. I I really floundered, and I, I see that with a lot of gay men where they they feel stuck, they think, okay, I don't I don't know if I could ever find love again, I don't know if I could ever find purpose, I don't know if I can find myself, yep, um, because they've lost themselves, they've resigned themselves to misery, yep, and man, I am so happy in my life right now in terms of uh, proud of myself for accomplishing some things. I'm proud of myself for um, just having a new lease on life and feeling excited about my life, even though there was a tremendous amount of pain that I had to go through to work through, you know, a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. And that is a big piece of it is we've got to go through the muck and the shit and all the stuff that you go I can't, I can't fucking believe I'm, this is where I'm at. I made this quote decision, not chose to be gay, but quote decision to like, finally go be myself. And then we wade through all that and we don't really feel like we can see the light, so to speak. And then one day the light starts to shine and it's like, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. This makes sense. Even though it would have never made sense, you know, years prior to that, that these things would have happened. And I know I have found for me, the more I leaned into it and started to go, okay, well, I guess this is where I'm going. That, and not blindly like, okay, let's just see what the universe brings. No, it wasn't really that, but there are times that I do like, okay, let's just see. Let's just see what happens. In fact, we are recording this right now about eight weeks before it's gonna air. We're kind of in the space where as a world, some parts of the world are, <laughs> going back to life as normal because of the COVID-19 thing and other parts are like, no, we're holding on, but it's so interesting to go and see where we are headed. And when Rob and I started talking about what we thought we should talk about, it's kind of brought up a lot of stuff being in this pandemic of, okay, so how do we do this thing called sex? Whether you're with your significant other or you're a single person, and I think both of us have seen some interesting stuff over the past few weeks where I know from a kind of from afar, I've watched how gay men particularly are trying to deal with what does sex now look like. And I think it's interesting and I think it's challenging and sometimes a little perplexing what I think some of these guys are doing. But um, I'd love to just kind of dive in there because you brought up an interesting um, website before we came on to record this um, called The Future of Sex. And I think that we're kind of being put into that realm right now, don't you think, Rob? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, when when you think about, um, you know, maybe 
generation or two before us, you know, they sexual health for them was, hey, don't get an STD or don't get someone pregnant. And that was the definition of, of sexual health and sexual wellness. And, you know, now we have people like the World Health Organization who are saying that there's four pillars of health in their physical, mental, spiritual, and sexual. And there's, with as modern as our society is, there has not been a whole lot of exploration on what, you know, what sexual health looks like um, for people. And there are people who are going to try to put boundaries around what is sexually healthy, maybe in terms of religion or um, culture. Um, but we haven't really had any really good, clear definitions on, okay, what, what is healthy? What does it look like for me to have a healthy sex life? Or we haven't been given the permission <laughs> to say, this is what's healthy for me as a healthy sex life. Yeah. Who gets to decide that, you know, right. who gets to decide what, um, and this is the issue when, um, you think about people who want to talk about sex addiction, mm -hmm. people there who say, all right, well, um, you're a sex addict if you want sex too much. Um, but who gets to determine that? It's an interesting space to play in because then you get all into, well, are they a sex addict or do they just have a healthy sexual appetite? Are they someone who's very adventuresome in sex and so that's what drives them? Or are they someone who's like, sex isn't as big a priority for me in my life? Sure. And then that comes down to who gets to decide what, what all these different layers of you know sex and sexuality really are. And it's interesting to think about if, if governments think they can tell a woman what to do with their body, how far <laughs> removed is it for somebody to say, well, this is what you can sexually do with your body too. It's just, it's such an interesting dynamic to think through. Sure. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We still probably have laws on the books about sodomy being yep. illegal, Yeah. Uh, you know, in the 21st century. So, uh, you know, that's fascinating to think about that. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, there are, People, so the organization that I'm a part of, which is called ASECT, mm -hmm. you know, we firmly believe that we shouldn't be using the language sex addiction. Uh, we think it's limiting that we shouldn't treat sex addiction like we, you know, we shouldn't be thinking in the same terms of drug and alcohol addiction and linking sex addiction in that way because we don't want to path pathologize sex. We don't want people to think that the desire for sex is something that's wrong um, inside of them. Yeah. Uh, we, we might talk a little bit, a bit about uh, out of control sexual behaviors. Sure. Um, but, you know, there, there has to be a framework for what, what you deem is appropriate. Um, there's a guy that's doing a lot of work in that respect. His name is um, Doug Braun Harvey, and he has a website called the Harvey Institute, and he's outlined six sexual health principles um, that can help people discover for themselves what is what is a healthy sexual practice for you. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to think that we might be quote unquote privileged enough to think, okay, I'm going to tell you what's a sexual healthy way for you to be in the world, which sure. is kind of the reason that you and I kind of ended up where we did in our lives because somebody said, oh, that's not sexually healthy to be considered to be gay, you know? let alone sure. let's take, you know, we hadn't even 
really address that whole, you know, religious faith piece of that. Yet that's part of the reason we got where we were. This isn't, this isn't a healthy way to be sexual. Yeah. And so then we bought into it and then we bought into the religious pieces of it as well. And, you know, I wouldn't trade anything. I wouldn't trade my two kids for it for any stretch of the imagination, but I know it has put a interesting twist in my own mental piece around sex that I had to really work through. Sure. I, I think that you might resonate with this. I know this is true for me that desire was something that I held back. I, yep. I repressed my own desire. I had a desire um, to see certain things, to touch certain things that my religion told me that, you know, essentially I'm going to go to hell. I mean, yep. that's the ultimate message that, uh, religion teaches people, um, you know, predominantly. And so I, when I came out, I wanted to come out all the way. And I think that's what led me into, you know, sex therapy work, because I, I find that a lot of people don't understand their own desire and they have the wrong relationship with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and they find themselves in that same situation going, okay, you know, why am I holding back uh, my desire? You know, what, should I be holding my desire back or is it okay for me to express my desire and to live into it? And what's my relationship with pleasure kind of create their own sexual ethic out of something that's not external, but internal. I love that own so sexual ethic because we can all stand in judgment. I mean, hello, think of, just think of what happened, you know, in 50 shades of gray when that started to come out and the book came out and then when the movie started coming out, I mean, every time, every time that has become part of the pop culture world, it's always put, you know, certain people in, Oh my God, they're, they're ruining the world. Really? Well, I'm sorry. You're ruining my sexual world by me thinking about, okay, you can only use sex for procreation. How, I don't see how that's even healthy. It's like, we didn't just get created this way for, okay, just do that. So it's that interesting how people perceive different things and see the world through their lens of sex. But I I wanted to ask you something about this because you brought it up. I love this healthy relationship with desire. How do you help someone really begin? I know that's a loaded question, Rob. So I know I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. I'm going to have to charge a lot for this session. I know, exactly. But it's like, how do you even start to help someone see that that desire is okay? And that desire is, oh, it's a healthy thing to be. Oh, man. You know, that that is a difficult question. You know, I think I kind of get a little bit crass when I try to talk to people a little bit about this because... You know, you, in terms of like fetishes, sometimes mm-hmm. we have to get real uh, yep, yep. the things that turn us on. So sometimes I'll, you know, have a frank conversation about somebody about what arousal looks like for a guy. Um, and it's an erection, right? Like when we right. get aroused, we, you know, we have an erection unless there's some sort of erect, erectile dysfunction that's going on there for other reasons. But, you know, I, I, I for the most part, I can't sit in a room with somebody and say, Hey, I need you to get a boner mm-hmm. three seconds. Just do it. There's, there's a automatic system that is unique to every person yep. um, that, that happens that causes you to feel aroused and to feel desire grow um, in your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might joke that for somebody, they may get really aroused by sucking on toes mm-hmm. 
other person that might just really gross them out. Right. Um, but for somebody to then have the desire to suck on a toe uh, or have a foot fetish and that become really arousing to them, um, you know, they should own that. And mm -hmm. would it be to really be able to find somebody to have sex with and to be enjoy pleasure with right. joys having their toes sucked. Right. Mm -hmm. so, uh, and that kind of vulnerability, that kind of honesty and integrity for people is going to be part of that sexual health equation uh, when people can not feel shame. And, you know, bringing up the word shame, too, I think that's why I do what I do, because I think that's what kept most people in the closet is shame. That if, if people know about this, they won't be accepted. Shame is huge. Shame is probably the... The biggest thing I hear, and even I, I was doing a, a coming out men's chat um, last evening, <clears throat> and everybody who shared different pieces, and they're all different places in their journey, but every one of them in some way brought up shame as a driver for why either they, they don't feel like they can be in a relationship or they're afraid to like show their truest sexual desires or that the reason they can't really admit to their wife why they're a gay man. I mean, shame was the prevalent undertone. And anytime I work with anybody, that's the place. Like, it's it's shameful to even admit that you have a desire, which sure. is so screwed up that we are sexual beings. So part of being a sexual being is, as you just so well demonstrated, <laughs> I could probably sit in a room with a guy and there's got to be a desire. There's got to be a desire for him to get that erection. Now, yes, we all joke as gay men that we could get a straight guy hard, you know, in a heartbeat, but there's still got to be a piece of desire. That desire for a straight man might be, okay, you're, you're stroking my dick. So now that desire is, oh, I enjoy having my dick get hard. That doesn't necessarily mean he's like, oh, I'm totally attracted to this guy stroking my dick. So it's that interesting piece of bringing that shame to a place where, wait, desire there should never be anything around a shameful space around desire, except in very extreme measures where pedophilia and stuff like that shows sure. up. But I find it interesting that every gay guy, and I'm sure you, not only gay men, but other people too, when we step into this world of sex, shame is always present in some way, shape or form. Sure. And people, don't know how to communicate uh, mm -hmm. and are afraid to even admit that, Hey, maybe I have a fantasy of, of this and mm -hmm. I have to keep this a secret because if my partner knew that I liked golden showers, mm -hmm. they may think I'm totally disgusting. Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't handle it if my partner thinks that I'm totally disgusting. Right. So they, they completely lack the, the, the autonomy um, and the integrity to be able to own the fact, to own their own desire, um, and even to, uh, I guess, experiment and give themselves permission to say, all right, this is arousing for me, and, and, and that's, that's okay. I'm not hurting anyone. Um, you know, I have these principles of sexual health. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's consensual. If I'm doing something consensual and if I'm avoiding unwanted pregnancy and STIs, um, HIV AIDS, um, you know, if I'm not doing anything illegal and it's mutual and pleasurable and consensual, right. then 
really there's very few things that are are problematic in terms of sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yet, based on somebody's view of the world, that's where the shame comes in. This is not what we perceive you should be doing. So now you're bad if that's what you want to do. And that's bad if that's how you want to live. And thus, here we come with, you know, what you and I both went through in like our faith said, oh, no, you can't be this. And I know for me, the thing that started shifting for me was if I let that shame stay there, I could never truly get to my healthy desire, not necessarily just about sex, my healthy desire to be whole as a person. Sure. Could, there was no way to do that. And I don't think a lot of people ever put it in that space of, I'll use like a different segment of the work I do. So when I'm working with an entrepreneur who really wants to build their business, they can't build that business. There is no way in hell they can build that business. If they're holding on to shame that somebody either put on them or they put on themselves about, but wait, I have a steady job and I have an income and I have this other thing. What am I doing? You just shamed yourself into believing you can't have that desire to go run your own business, build your own dream. If you have that shame hanging over your head. Sure. And it's a very consistent pattern in all of us as humans, that shame will always get in the way. Shame will be what feeds the fear. Shame will be what helps us create every excuse why we can't go somewhere and why we can't be doing the thing we most want to do. So I'm curious, as you've worked with people in general, we won't go real specific like I did on the last question, uh, but what is one of the, I mean, other than shame, what is something else that consistently kind of shows up that keeps people from freeing themselves to just be, here I am, here I'm just, this is who I am in my sexual being. Gosh, you know, what I see happening is there's this idea that I picked up on by Dr. David Snarch called mm-hmm. differentiation. And basically, Snarch says that a highly differentiated person is somebody who can balance their need for autonomy with their need for connection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who are in connection and in relationship with one another. Um, you know, I don't want to put any boundaries around that, whether you're hooking up or whether you have a partner um, or in a relationship with somebody, but you have that, that partnership, that connection with somebody and you're going to want to be with them because you want to, instead of you need to. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I find that a lot of people become emotionally fused with their partners um, and they lack the integrity to be able to stand up on their own two feet to be able to express their own desires for fear that their partner might freak out, their partner might leave them, their partner might do something you know that causes them to spiral. And so a lot of people end up hiding their preferences um, and not being able to move into an autonomy for fear that they're going to lose their connection. And so I find myself working with a lot of couples and a lot of people evaluating their relationships based on whether they're emotionally fused with that person or if they can have a solid sense of themselves to be able to, uh, you know, move freely from feeling connected. So if I'm connected to my partner, that doesn't make me feel that I am going to lose my autonomy. Um, my partner's not trying to tell me that I can't, I can't eat chocolate cake or my partner's not telling me Mm -hmm. how that I can't like going water skiing or, you know, whatever scenario that I I don't find myself 
staying in this connected face for fear that I might lose my own identity and autonomy. And when I go off and do my own thing, there's a security in this relationship that um, I feel that I'm still connected to my, my partner. I think this is big and this could be a whole show in and of itself. But um, I think what you just described is what is really big in couples, gay or straight, doesn't matter. Yeah. Who have the ability to have an open relationship. There's that emotional connection that they continue to feel, but there's this also autonomy of freedom to realize if their partner enjoys a sexual experience with another person, that they're not going to use that emotional security of that partner still being tied to the relationship. Sure. And when people look at it from the outside, like, oh, I could never do that. Okay. No, you couldn't because that's how your lens of the world. Yeah, but that's fine if you think you couldn't, but then please don't overlay what you couldn't do into your judgment of why that person can do what they can do. Yeah, I think that people desire fidelity, some sort of fidelity in their relationship. And unfortunately, when people, you know, partner up, uh, they never talk about the contract or they never talk about what the fidelity is. They only mm -hmm. define it by what is infidelity right so they only go wait a minute you i you know you should know that you're not supposed to have sex with somebody else or you should know that i would have a problem with you jerking off on cam with somebody else mm -hmm. but it ended up not being anything that they ever discussed in the past about whether that that activity was going to break the fidelity of the relationship and it comes down to being honest from the get-go yeah, and I also think people change too. I agree 100%. Uh, you know, sometimes you you make a contract, you start out in a relationship and you grow and you change and people think okay, you know, I want to I want to re redefine the terms of our relationship or I I want to you know, I want to start talking about gosh, I st I'm starting to have this desire to have sex with other people. Um, you know, and I want to talk about it. Right. Which doesn't necessarily mean that they don't still care and love their partner. Sure. Um, some people have a very difficult time in terms of looking at the companionship piece of the relationship and the erotic piece of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And they've mixed those two things together. Um, you know, that those th two things are so closely tied together that they, they couldn't imagine you know, the emotional connection being the part of fidelity that is going to hold them together and that under certain terms and contracts that maybe, you know, sexually there could be some wiggle room or some exploration that didn't have to impact, you know, so I guess the way I would say it is just because somebody it maybe might be polyamorous and say, you know, they want to have a sexual encounter with somebody else, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're looking to get a better partner. Right. Um, right. You know, they may say, I'm, I really enjoy the partnership and the life that I live with, with my, my partner. Mm -hmm. And it, and it gives them the honesty between them when they're able to do that. I have a really good friend who she, she's written a couple of books on polyamory. And so we talk about this a lot. She's been on the podcast. We've done some stuff together in, in group coaching and some workshops and stuff. And it's always so interesting to go play in that world. Because as soon as you talk about it, you get a lot of people showing up, but then it's like, okay, I'm going to show up and I'm going to, I'm going to explore what this would look like. 
but you always get that moment in the midst of a workshop where it's suddenly you can start seeing the barriers are coming up like, Oh, well that, no, I couldn't. Okay. And that's okay. And that's one of the things we talk about is if you couldn't do this, that's okay. You may not want to be doing it right now, yeah. but you're here, you're exploring, you're figuring out what you could and couldn't do. And it, I find it healthy. And I think any therapist or psychiatrist or even a coach would say that if you're exploring, at least you're doing the first step. You're trying to figure out, okay, I have this in me. I have this curiosity, but if you keep that bottled up, that's going to create as many problems as if you don't put it out here and talk about it in a really healthy manner. Sure. I mean, I don't want to suggest that, you know, this would be easy for a couple either. Mm-mm. No, not at all. This type of conversation, it's a very vulnerable uh, conversation to have. And, um, but a lot of times what I find in, in many, many people is that we avoid those difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. We have, we've avoid pain, we avoid conflict. And no matter which way we live life, uh, we have to embrace everything that it is to be human. So, you know, sometimes when I have this conversation with people, I think about two different words. One is envy and one is jealousy. Mm-hmm. Some people use them synonymously, but, you know, envy is you desiring something that you don't have. And jealousy is, you know, the fear of losing something that you do have. And so, you know, if you find yourself in a relationship where you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm kind of envious, like I'm curious about other things and other people, um, envious of maybe something that somebody else has, I would like to explore that. I'd like to do that. You know, that can be a difficult feeling if you're feeling stuck and that's a feeling you may have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it also could be a difficult feeling to deal with if your partner decides, says to you that they want an open relationship, because then you're going to have to deal with some jealousy. Right. They go, okay, does, you know, I don't want to lose my partner. I don't want this to mean that, you know, I, I might lose this person in my life. That's a really powerful way to look at this. And I think a lot of times, and I'm going to kind of lean back into our, our world of gay men. I think gay men really struggle with the envy and the jealousy in trying to find the partnerships because there's been that piece of us for so long that said, Oh, you can't be this. You can't be this. So we get kind of pushed into that. This is what you need to be. This is how you need to show up. But yet that leaves us going, but I can't have that. I can't have that life. Yeah. And then suddenly when we finally realize by coming out, okay, we can have this, but then what we lose, at least in our minds in the moments. And sometimes for a lot of guys, they, they continue to stay in that. This is what I'm losing is, sense of security, connection, family, whatever those things are. And so those two things kind of continue to be carried in our essence as gay men is we're either going to be fighting the envy or the jealousy, envy or jealousy, because, oh, wow, look him, he's an A-list gay and he has this and that. And so now we're either jealous or we're envious of that. And then we bring that into almost every kind of relationship we kind of build when if we stopped and took a pause, He started to really practice, where is that feeling coming from? Am I being envious or am I being jealous? And how can I move beyond that? And I think a lot of gay men could be a lot healthier just by using those two words to really understand themselves a whole lot better. Yep, exactly. And it's amazing how, you know, unaware we are um, in terms of our our own feelings and our own Mm -hmm. way that we walk through our relationships and 
you know, I, I, we talk a lot about, you know, being defensive, mm-hmm. you know, get defensive in the relationships and, um, you know, people need, need coaches and <laughs> they need help with this kind of stuff. Exactly. And, uh, it's, it's awesome that people are seeking more and more help um, to be able to navigate the, the desire for intimacy in their lives. We all mm-hmm. believe that it's something that we deserve. We want better sex. We want better connections. We want to feel more connected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes we get stuck and certainly a coach or a therapist can help you process that in a really healthy way. But I think it's so interesting too, Rob, that and before we wrap up here to like address that piece for men. And I, I'm going to generalize here. Sure. For men in general, I want to have better sex. Okay, great. I'll figure out how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Because we're men. We'll figure out how to do that. Yep. Yeah. But they- we won't admit, oh God, I'm really, I really suck at having sex. Sure. We don't want to admit that. So, okay, I'll go fix that. And yet oftentimes what we most need is that outside perspective to say, so have you seen it through this lens? Sure. Why do you think you feel that way? What if that wasn't really the truth? Because we don't do that with ourselves. We, we tend to think we got it all figured out and this is how we're going to get it done. Then we fail miserably at it. That's the, it's so interesting to me. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to this thing that I ask almost every one of my clients when I say, well, what is sex? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we took a hundred people in a room and asked them, what is sex? Everyone would have a different answer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all almost looking for something that we have not a real clear definition of what we really want because media portrays it, pornography portrays it in a certain way. You know, we fantasize about, you know, certain things in a certain way, but yet, you know, real life doesn't often play out the way that, you know, our fantasies do and we have to work towards it. And then we can't handle our own disappointment sometimes. I think that's such a powerful question. That's probably a really great place for us to kind of bring this full circle of what is sex? And you get to ask yourself that question. You get to determine what that is. Doesn't mean you're you're gonna be an island unto thine own self, so to speak. But in a way you kind of want to be like, what does what is sex to you? Because when you can own it, and I love you use that terminology, you and I use some very similar terminology. I'm always telling, you know, kind of telling, encouraging, I don't like to say I'm telling my clients, but I'm encouraging them, challenging them. So if that's what you believe and that's what you feel, I want you to own that. I want you to own that you love sucking on toes. I want you to own that you want to be kind of the quieter partner in the relationship. I want you to own that you love being the caretaker. Sure. Own it and own it with a vengeance. Yeah. Maybe not with a vengeance, but (laughs) really own it, you know, because that's what's going to make you better and able and able to ask for what you want for in your relationship, even in the sexual arena, is you got to own those things. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I love that. I love this conversation, Rob. This has been great for Pride Month. Happy Pride. And and yes, we are recording this. We are pretty sure that Pride is taking on a whole different look in 2020, given the coronavirus and everything that's happened. Um, But I think Rob and I would both also in our own ways say, keep being safe. There's no better way to keep being safe right now than 
doing at least what we've been told to do. And again, we recorded this eight weeks prior to when it's released, but right now it's about taking good care of yourself so that you can continue to have good sex if you own that you want to have good sex. So anything else you'd love to share real quick, Rob, before we wrap it up, man? Hey, I just appreciate um, being able to chat with you a bit. And, uh, you know, this is actually my very first podcast. So awesome. get, get the, get the so first we, one. We will definitely have to have you back because I think it's important to have these conversations. And the more we converse about this sort of stuff, the more normal it becomes. And I think at this stage, the more powerful we can make sexual conversations, the better off we become as a humanity. So we will have every way to get a hold of Rob, just Rob and his, his um, organization. He has a practice in Michigan and you can work with him in a lot of different ways. He's been doing a lot of virtual work lately. <laughs> so um, it's, it's something that I think it would be important for any of you to find that path to helping yourself be more sexual in your own way, whether it's with therapy, coaching, whatever it might be. And don't be afraid to ask for what you want. So thanks again, Rob, for being here, man. I really appreciate you. Thanks a lot, Rick. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change a life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.